Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Growing Knowledge Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Cruz, and with me today I have one an awesome person with me, um, a good friend of mine and one of the Florida FFA state officers, Miss Lauren Roberts. Lauren, why don't you just kind of introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who you are and um, how you got started in the FFA. Absolutely. So um, I am, and Lauren Roberts, as I mentioned, but I'm from Trenton, Florida, so really small rural town, and I got started in FFA. It was kind of a known thing, like my parents were in it, my grandfather was an advisor, um, so it was just kind of a family thing that, like, there wasn't a question, there was no asking if I wanted to join, it was a known thing. So I started in seventh grade. Um went to my first convention, thought it was the coolest thing, like every other middle school member. And then I didn't really feel a calling to do any specific thing. And I never had that confidence in myself. And it wasn't until I was in seventh grade and my advisor literally picked me in class. Um, No one else wanted to do prepared speaking. I certainly did not want to do public speaking at the time. And she saw something in me that I didn't. And it kind of started from there. And I uh, just picked doing honeybees as a random topic, kind of drew it out of the hat. I had no prior experience with bees. My family was never in it. My family, uh, was in farming, but they were cattle and peanuts and corn, so certainly none of the um, crops that needed bee pollination, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever, so I'm super thankful for my advisors pushing me and seeing, having the talent to see things in other people that they don't see in themselves, and that's kind of how I started my obsession with bees, you could say, and then I did everything in FFA somehow related to bees if I could, and it's been a really great hobby for me, and it's drew me into a lot of contacts with people that I never would have met if it wasn't for um, this industry. Definitely. Um, like, that's kind of hard to believe. Like, knowing you now and, like, knowing that you really weren't into, like, public speaking, that's crazy to think. Um so you, you talked about how you got into bees and no one was really, like none of your family had ever been connected with bees or anything like that. So kind of, could you tell us a little bit about like your research that you did with bees and your agri-science fair project and kind of why bees? Like out of all the parts of agriculture, why did you choose bees? Yeah, I I don't know. I guess like... I just thought it was really cool, and at the time, when I first started researching, it was like, what I mean researching, just like on the internet, I wasn't doing research at that point of my own, and it was around the time of colony collapse disorder, and there was a lot of myths circulating around it, like you see on Google, like, there were so many people blaming different things, and I just wanted to know what really the the case was, and so I set up an approach. Uh, just a lab meeting, just a visit to to tour the bee lab at University of Florida. And I came in contact with a really awesome entomologist, and he's been really helpful. And I've done three research experiments since I started my sophomore year of high school doing agri-science fair. And it's actually one of the contests that's open to middle schoolers. So I wish I would have done it when I was younger, but... Um, anyways, it it was really awesome. And so 
my main focus at the time was pesticides because, you know, I grew up in the farming industry and and people blame pesticides for a lot of problems and especially when it came to colony collapse disorder at the time. And I think my very first interest was when I asked Dr. Ellis, the entomologist, um, what colony collapse disorder was. I asked him what, what he thought, what his theory was as to why our bees were declining. And he was like, Lauren, you know, it's funny you ask that. Colony collapse disorder doesn't even exist. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, it's all over the Internet. And so it was basically a shortcut for researchers. They were kind of lazy, most of the industry, and didn't want to figure out the exact causes. And instead just said, colony collapse disorder is killing our bees. We don't know what's going on. Um, And so I just found that so interesting that people weren't actually solving and trying to figure out what was going on. And agriculture and farmer and pesticides and neonicotinoids were being blamed for a lot of it. And, like, there wasn't even science to back up why for some of it. And that was my first calling to do research. And so I did research in the lab on finding ways that we could still use pesticides but find a repellent that would keep the bees away from even coming into contact with that pesticide once it's sprayed on our crops so that's what i researched i found that love bugs you know love bugs the ones that cover all of our vehicles in in the spring mm-hmm. yeah so that's actually a bug that repels bees naturally that research i never figured out before i started doing my project and um, I started finding that out, and it was just cool to be able to relay that information back to watermelon growers and those in my area that, you know, you can still use your pesticides, but if we could also use repellents, we won't have to worry about our bees dying, but also, like, our industry doesn't get that bad rap. So that was a lot. So there's this thing that you need to clarify. I'd love to. Uh, no, you're good. Um it's just I was just kind of thinking about that um so like you we've talked about colony collapse disorder and you kind of gave an explanation of it so could you kind of like break it down more like what exactly so like things were happening to these colonies and people couldn't explain them so they just kind of labeled it this colony collapse disorder thing exactly exactly yeah yeah so um this was 2000, it started in 2006, but it really gained attention in the media like 2013, 14, and since then, the industry knows that it's not real. Um, there's actual, like, tangible problems, a couple of those. Um, pesticides can be harmful to bees, we know this, but um, it's kind of a tricky subject to talk about because... Like, well, as a beekeeper, I'm also a beekeeper, so I have a hobbyist beekeeper. I have five hives of my own, and I didn't even realize this before I got my own hive, but beekeepers use pesticides in our own hives, so it's like we can't even talk negative about it when we're using them in our own hive to, you know, defend our bees against pests, but... That ties into another issue and why our bees are declining is some really bad pests that are out there that's being uh, passed along whenever we're using our bees traveling um, 
for pollination all over the United States. They spread some really nasty pests like these mites that will transmit diseases. And so that's really the biggest problem, in my opinion, in the industry. And that is what causing the bee decline is the mites. And one of the reasons why is that we do have several different types of medication to, you know, give our bees and miticides. But as you know, there's a lot of hobbyist beekeepers out there and they tend to not treat their bees against mites. And so whenever you have a commercial, a person running bees and, you know, the hobbyist beekeeper, you might have three or four hives that they don't treat for uh, varroa mites then, and let's say that commercial dude is actually, you know, treating his hives, doing the the proper thing as a beekeeper. Well, everything that they've applied can just be lost if that hobbyist beehive decides to to go into contact with the other bees that are pollinating. And then that is one of the reasons. We call them uh, varroa bombs, actually, in the industry. Hmm. When a hobby beekeeper doesn't, you know, doesn't take care of their hive and doesn't treat and then it infects the other really big operations in the area so that's one of the problems and it's something that I like to bring awareness to being a small beekeeper that it's just as important that we treat our hives as the big commercial um, beekeepers like you just said that you're like um, being a hobbyist beekeeper that's something that you do and you enjoy um, what would be some advice or some tips that you give to someone that would want to pursue beekeeping as a hobby? Yeah, so like I kind of alluded to earlier, I'm, I like to say, you know, there's first-generation farmers and Floridians. I'm a first-generation beekeeper, <laughs> and it has been such a struggle to, to be completely transparent with you. And I think I my, my first approach that wasn't, I would not advise it's I got really overwhelmed just reading things on the internet and I think the best way because if you ask um, one beekeeper they're going to tell you so many different ways to do something and so you can imagine asking several other beekeepers and reading online there's just so many different ways to do the same thing and it's not that there's a right or wrong way it's just it's just what they, um, their personal opinions. And so for me, I spent years on the internet trying to figure out how to be a beekeeper and it just wasn't clicking. And it wasn't until I found a mentor and that's a a beekeeper who's been doing it for nearly 10 years, who lives near me. And I kind of shadowed him and that's really all I did. And he helped me out. I worked his hives with him for a while to just gain that experience before getting enough confidence to get my own hive. And that's really my recommendation is to, to draw close to a beekeeper that you um, are maybe friends with even outside of, you know, just working with bees. And that way you're able to have a stable source of information rather than reading 20 different things on the internet and being super overwhelmed. So find that connection. If you don't know a beekeeper in your area, uh, most of the counties actually have beekeeping associations. Like countywide, they normally have meetings. There's also an awesome beekeeping college that the University of Florida puts on in the spring and the fall. I am a University of Florida beekeeping college graduate <laughs> two times. 
um, you get a really cool pin, but no, it's a really cool day. It's a two-day experience where you're just learning all these classes, and it gives you a lot of confidence, I would say, and just experience. And so if you're interested, I would definitely recommend doing both of those two friends, finding that mentor, and then also doing that beekeeping class because it was very helpful to me. All right, so to kind of like wrap up the bee talk, um, what are some things that, you know, us as like the general public or um, consumers should know about the bee industry, like whether that be concerns or things that we should just know to be more knowledgeable consumers um, about the honey or just about bees in general relating to agriculture and relating to like our everyday life? Absolutely. So... There's a lot that I want to say. (laughs) The first thing that I would say is if you're interested in becoming a beekeeper, definitely treat your hives. Uh, Follow the same management as our commercial industry does. That way you're not exposing other people's beehives in the area to a potential risk and disease. That's my first big thing if you're a beekeeper. If you're no like if um, you're just a citizen like you said and you're interested in saving the bees, all of that, I would really recommend buying local honey. You hear it with produce, but really buy local honey. And not only is it supporting the beekeepers in your area, but um, we're facing a lot of competition with honey from from other nations. And so, not that that trade's good because there's different floral sources and that's wonderful but uh, support those that are local and also the benefit for you is that you're going to be getting those the flowers that are blooming and for those of us who do suffer from seasonal allergies having that local source of pollen in your honey like just that little bit is really good for our immune system and building us up but again read the label make sure that it's from your area or even like find a local beekeeper have that relationship because that's really awesome to have they might even let you tour their beehives which I know I've done to those who are interested you know in my honey and my customers I'm always hoping for them to come in to see my hives because it's a cool experience and um, if you do have those seasonal allergies my big recommendation is to buy unfiltered raw honey and unfiltered means that it still has those pollen particles in and then the raw means that it hasn't been heated up um, that way you're still having all those good um, all those good pollen particles that are still suspended in the honey but um and then for the public to be updated on, you know, the current state of our industry, we actually are having a bounce back. We've had a lot of support, a lot of research being poured in by USDA, um, colleges, you know, land-grant universities, a lot of awesome research being done. So I, I feel very, a lot more comfortable in, in the state of our industry looking forward than I did even four years ago when I first started doing a lot of speaking about bees and bringing that awareness. But there is a scary statistic that every year we lose 50% of our beehives. And while in some cases that's true, The neat thing about beekeeping is that every year you can split your hive. So while you may lose 50% uh, in one year, you can double what's left, and that still brings you back up. So while we're not really growing, we are maintaining. 
So that's something I can't say was the case four years ago. So we are um, using better technology, just being more mindful of what we're applying and learning more about the bee behavior. That's really helping um, our apiculture industry. And also, like, our farmers are being so much more aware of spraying and then also maintaining the wildflowers, you know, whether that's outside their field uh, the margins of that or even planting plots specifically for our pollinators that's something i love to see and i really encourage in uh, the specialty crop industry as well so you kind of alluded to and you kind of talked about how you talk you you did speeches about bees and well you did more than just give speeches you went on <laughs> to not only win the state championship for prepared public speaking here for the state of Florida, but then you also went on to win the national championship as well. So could you kind of just tell us a little bit about what that journey was like and that whole, and that whole experience was like for you personally? Yes. I, I think my family, my ag advisor, my sister can still say my speech to this day. I said it so <laughs> many times. <laughs> so um, that was always fun. But I think the best part of that experience was I really just had fun with it, to be honest. If you pick a topic for any type of speech, not only prepared, but like any, not even a speech, but really anything you want to pursue in life, whether if you're an FFA, that might be a SAE um, or really any hobby. If you're passionate about it, it comes easy. You want to practice, you want to learn more, you want to dive in deeper. And so my path, within that for all my practices it wasn't me talking to giving a speech 10 times to my advisor and my family it was more of me setting up industry visits whether that was with uh, watermelon producers or going to to speak at conventions for them really educating that farmer base and also those in the public and going on uh, tours and like meeting up with researchers and just telling them about my research and also sharing my speech with them I found a lot of fun in that having new faces to to speak and you know have those ideas and bouncing off of them was really helpful in my preparation for that but it also didn't make it boring because you know there was always uh, some new face that I saw when I gave a speech which I really enjoyed um, the, the path to get there and really sharing um, on that level and so my recommendation kind of stepping outside of speeches but if you're talking thinking about an SAE you know your supervised agriculture experience what that might look like if you're in school I would recommend something that you're super passionate about, and I know that that's really, like, pushed to people, but if you can write a speech on it, like an eight-minute speech, then you, you're pretty passionate about it, you know? Like, mm-hmm. if you can find the time to enjoy doing that research, then I would probably guess that that's something that you could create a hobby as that you would enjoy, what was like? What was that moment like when you found out that you won, like you were named like the national champion of being a prepared public speaker? Like, what was, what was your emotion like? What was your thought? What were you thinking about? Um, just what was that moment like for you? Oh my goodness, I like still get chills thinking about it. <laughs> but 
I think everything just came into into perspective and it was just a full circle whenever that happened because for years, you know, I had been doing uh, public speaking, prepared speeches. I had been trying to get that first place at States to move on. And, you know, God is good because if I would have won the year before I was doing my speech on um, unmanned aerial vehicles, like a topic that I thought was cool, but I wasn't, you know, interested in. I didn't mm-hmm. pursue a hobby in that. And I was just like, wow, God, you're so good. If I would have won with that speech, um, I definitely wouldn't have, have had that passion. Mm-hmm. But also, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to educate so many people on a topic that I'm so passionate about and that I love sharing with others. It's the real truth about these and, you know, what's really going on in our industry. And so I'm just thankful for all the people that I was able to educate and to have that story um, to, to speak with. I think that was my biggest thing as well. Um, I waited one more year, and I'm really thankful that I was able to talk to people about a topic that wouldn't put them to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I, yeah, it's so crazy to think about. Like, I don't really remember that week of my life, to be honest. (laughs) So, at the beginning, I I stated how you're a state officer for the Florida FFA. So, can you kind of just tell all of us, what what was that experience like, you know, at screening, at convention, when when you found out you won, and also everything that you've done up to now and um, what you're looking forward to doing with, with the rest of your year of service. Yeah, so um, definitely it was a lot of preparation, a lot of planning and like thoughtful, being very intentional um, at the very beginning before I was even elected. And... I think it's just a lot about meeting people and just forming those connections. And that's what I've enjoyed most about this year. And especially the team that I serve on, like, oh my goodness, I, I think they're so incredible and I love being surrounded by that support system. You know, that's one of the reasons why in my time in FFA, like I loved it so much because when you come from a really small town, you tend to have that small town mentality. And FFA just showed me there's so much more out there. And I love having that support system of people who are so intelligent, so much smarter than I am. And it just continues to, when I wake up like every morning, you know, because those around me are so amazing and incredible in this organization, it makes me level up as a person. And so that's been really cool, just the growth that I've experienced from June to December. And I just love meeting those members and, you know, letting them know that while I um, I, I was very fortunate in my story and, and the outcome of my years in FFA and the, allowing myself to, to reach that goal of becoming a state officer, like, there's just, there's just something informing that community that is incredible, even if you become a state officer, if you choose not to pursue that path, like, it's, it's those members that you're in this organization with right now that you'll be working alongside of, you might be their boss, they're going to be your boss one day, and it, again, it causes you to level up, and so I love that, um, that, 
challenge every day to to just you know try to be the best version of myself and promote others to do that same thing and um the rest of this year I'm really looking forward to to meeting more people and really helping them see the things that they're passionate about and letting them know that I was always so worried in, in school of, you know, what my, what is my story going to be? What am I going to say? Um, what's my platform going to be? And so I think if you put too much pressure on finding what you're passionate about and what your story is going to be, that it's not going to come naturally. And so I always say, like, it's okay to take your time to you don't have to have everything figured out in a day or a month or a year like Everything has its own natural course, and everyone's different. And so just be patient with yourself and be kind to yourself. And, you know, God will paint you and point you in that right direction and path with your life, with your purpose and, you know, your hobby. And that's something that I've really been personally praying about, um, whether or not, you know, beekeeping, pursuing that research and, uh, speaking is a hobby of mine that I was so fortunate to find during my years at FFA or if it's really my purpose if I'm supposed to continue on this path so um, that's something that you know what I just said I'm also still having to tell myself today to be patient to, to wait on those doors to open up and don't I uh, try to open up the wrong ones if that makes any sense mm-hmm. that's that is very true like we get caught up in you know wanting to kind of make not really make choices but rush through life and like determine what we want to do like when we're like still in high school but we really are just along for the ride and we have no idea what the plan is but Mm -hmm. we all know that the plan is going to be awesome because we know we have an awesome author and um and that's very it's just a very interesting way of thinking about it and something uh, i always try to remember is that Hey, it's all going to work out, and it, the way it's going to work out is is the way it was meant to work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, for those who are interested in <clears throat> pursuing, you know, state office in the future, I think the most reassuring thing for me was, like you said, I knew who the author of my story was going to be. Ultimately, it's not me. It's him. Um, but I also had, like, a backup plan. If I didn't get state office... I knew what I was doing, and it wasn't even a backup plan. Like, some people call them plan A and plan B, but I really just had two plan A's, Mm -hmm. and they were both good. Um, You know, my author picked which one for me, and so I'm just so thankful for the the people that I've been able to form those relationships. And I think you just have to get out of your head and, you know, stop worrying about those around you and it's not a competition and I think once you get out of that mentality that you're not competing against those that it's really just you versus yourself it lets you breathe and you can really enjoy the moment whether that's in a a holding room or about to go to a competition or talking about state officer screening uh, just breathe and you know laugh enjoy those moments Mm -hmm. because again we rush through life we rush through screening you rush through the week to get the weekend you rush Mm -hmm. through um 
you know, that speech. (laughs) But enjoy the moment. And I think that was one of the best feelings for me, you know, relating it to giving a speech. And I know you're an amazing speaker as well, so you might can relate. But, you know, when you're giving that speech and you practice and prepared so much that, like, you're giving it and then you kind of have that out-of-body experience where, like, you're just, it's just working out so well. And, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it it hits you different. Yeah. Um, that's so true though, about just like basically living and like one of my like good mentors and someone I look up to, you know, he compared it to like train or life is like a train and like every once in a while you need to hop off and just look around and because mm-hmm. if you're on that train too long, you're going to miss, you're going to miss some amazing things in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so one of the things I do appreciate about this year is while it has been busy, it's been extremely challenging in so many ways. I never would have thought, but it's allowed me a year to reflect with myself, to, to have those relationships with other people. And I think once you put that focus on others instead of yourself, mm-hmm. you're able to, to see the bigger picture. Sometimes we get so zoomed in on ourselves, and it's yeah. really a thing that our whole society does. Mm-hmm. So I've appreciated having those relationships that has allowed me to step back and given me a year to, to reflect on what I want to do with my life, um, what God's calling me to. And so the unknown is scary, mm-hmm. but I just try to take it one day at a time and not to plan too much. And what happens is the best plan. So, Well, I really appreciate you being on, Lauren. Um, this is a very interesting because I learned a lot of stuff that I didn't really know. Um, but, um, so would you like to, you know, shout anyone out, shout yourself out, um, or, you know, kind of let the people know where they can find you, what you're doing right now or what you're about to do, uh, anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, again, I didn't really touch about my business, but I, I do have a bees on beekeeper myself have an Instagram platform that I do most of my education with and it's at the pink hives plural um definitely follow my the Instagram page there I do a lot of my awareness through that but um also you know you can find me on Instagram at Lauren and underscore Rob and um if you ever have any questions again these FFA speaking any of those items life you know you're such a positive person i i really love what you're doing and so that that's really awesome i'm super proud of you parker it's really cool well thank you i really do appreciate that yeah Um, yeah and again if you ever need honey like hit me up i'm actually (laughs) harvesting honey tomorrow i've got a little tiny bear jars which i'm really excited to sell you know the little tiny ones that you can put in your pocket but everyone laughs at me because, you know, right now I'm doing a lot of chapter programs mm-hmm. and going to schools. And so I'll, ra- I'll randomly, like, whip out a, a jar of honey from my backpack or my purse. And everyone's <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, you're so prepared. I'm like, no, I'm just a beekeeper. Do you want to buy honey? <laughs> I have too much. I need, to, I need to get off honey. But anyways, it's funny. Buy local, um, definitely. And I really appreciate this podcast. I'm excited to, to listen. Yeah. Um, you're not going to believe this. I've never had honey before, so I guess I'm going to have to try yours. I'm going to send you some. All right. Um, Once I bottle tomorrow, I will be shipping it to you. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Lauren. I really do appreciate it. I know the viewers will really like this episode. Um, 
Guys, thank you for watching and thank you for listening. I really do appreciate it. And always remember to just be your best and continue just living your life and not worrying about all that other stuff. And um, just have a good one. Thank you for listening and I'll see you guys next time.